J. Michael Edwards back with you in the Majestic Academy. We are getting into the meat of this fantastic book. Today, we get a vision into the throne room of God. Imagine the privilege of entering the Holy of Holies. I would like to mention again that the Majestic Academy is committed to teaching perfection in a world of mediocrity. Let's now join Pastor Don in the Academy as he teaches a lesson entitled, Inside the Throne Room of God. Thanks again, J. Michael. Well, it's good to have you here in the Majestic Academy once again. As we look at episode number 14 of our series and we take a look inside the throne room of God. If you have your Bibles, go to Revelation 4. We're going to finish this chapter out. <clears throat> verses 2 through 11. John writes, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was, and is, and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him and sat on the throne and worshiped him and liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created." Let's pray and ask God to bless this time. Father, thank you again for these precious words. Help me now to expound upon them and to clearly explain what they mean to us and all the folks out there listening here in the academy. Thank you again for this opportunity to preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. And so inside the throne room of God, what, what an opportunity, what a privilege to be inside the throne room of God. And so the last time we saw John, he had been airlifted out of this world through a door that had been opened in the heavens. 
he was told that he was about to receive a revelation of things which me I'm sorry, things which which must be hereafter. As we studied Revelation four, verse one, we came to understand that John was a representative man. He represents all true believers in Jesus Christ who will be taken out of this world at the end of the church age in the event called the rapture. I praise the Lord for the blessed hope. He is coming and we are going. Can I get a hallelujah out there? As we move deeper into this chapter, we are given a glimpse inside the very throne room of God himself. We are allowed to view some of the activities that take place in heaven before God's judgment is visited upon the world. The scene that is described in these verses is almost beyond comprehension. But in these verses, John gives us a small glimpse of what we will be doing in these days. Let's join John in God's presence and try to grasp what is taking place in these verses. I want to take us up to heaven and look inside the throne room of God. You see, we need a heavenly perspective on this world. Taken by themselves, the events, the trials, and the problems of this world often make no sense at all. Certainly right now, things make no sense at all. <laughs> I'm sure I can get a few amens on that. From an earthly perspective, this world appears to be out of control. War, disease, crime, wickedness, ungodliness, epidemics, masking, separation, COVID. This is just a crazy time in this world. But when you understand that God is on his throne and when you understand that he is in control and when you think that he is working out a perfect plan eternally, then it all falls into place. You know, when you take a beautiful Persian rug, and you've all seen those, what they're just they're just so fantastic. Man, they just you you're always amazed, I am anyway, at how they could possibly do that. It is just fantastic. But when you turn that beautiful Persian rug over, it's just a mess of tangled strings and fibers and all of that on that backside. But when it is viewed from above, the pattern becomes really, really clear. So today, let's move up to heaven and get a glimpse of what is taking place around God's throne. I want to share the scenes John saw when he went up to heaven. Let's look at the person on the throne. The very first thing John sees is God himself on the throne in heaven. Wow, what a thrill that must have been. How I look forward to that time. Imagine going to the White House and meeting the President of the United States. Wow, that would be an honor. To go to Buckingham Palace and meet the Queen of England. That would be an honor. But to walk into the very throne room of God and see him sitting on his throne, that would be more than an honor. That would be glorious beyond description. Yet that is the honor John was given, and it is an honor we will enjoy one day, I believe, soon. So let's listen 
in as John describes his encounter with our sovereign God. In verse 2, we see he is the ruling one, the ruling one. The first thing John sees is a throne set in heaven. A throne speaks of sovereignty and authority. We are viewing one who occupies the place of absolute authority over all the affairs of heaven and earth. Psalm 47.8 says, God reigneth over the heathen, God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. And in Psalm 103, verse 19, The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. The word set speaks of stability, firmness, and durability when it says the throne is set in heaven. It is set. God's throne is an eternal throne. No foe will ever be able to force him down from the place where he rules and reigns. Psalm 45, verse 6, says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. This world may not recognize God's authority and rule today, but he reigns nonetheless. Men do not give a second thought to the existence of God. But he notices all, he controls all, and he will ultimately judge all. Men may not give him the time of day now, but they will face him someday. Man may not bow today, but they will one day. Romans fourteen twelve. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Every one simply means every one. In verse 3, it says he is the resplendent one. John attempts to do the impossible. He attempts to describe God. The one on this throne is God the Father. How do we know? God the Son takes the seven-sealed book out of his hands. And one of the elders, Revelation 5, verses 5 through 7 says, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth unto all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. John describes God as a jasper and a sardine stone. The word like lets us know that we have encountered a symbolic language. God is not a mineral or a stone, but his appearance reminded John of these two precious stones. Now the jasper is clear and bright. It is possible that it is the same as a diamond. A diamond is a very hard stone and it speaks of firmness. This comparison reminds us that our God is firm and unchanging. Since we are in the context of a throne room where the sovereign authority is about to be exercised, this tells us that God's law, like God himself, are firm and unchanging. There are certain laws in nature that are firm and unchanging. Gravity. Gravity, for instance, what goes up must come down. God has established the law of gravity. It is firm and unchanging. If you place a pot of water on a stove and turn it on, you need not expect to find ice in the pot when you return. God has established 
the law of thermodynamics. It is unchanging. The same is true concerning God's moral law. He is unchanging and inflexible there too. Men kick against the moral laws of God. They call the Bible out of date and old-fashioned. They do their own thinking that God will let them slide. The fact is, they are sinning against a God who is firm and unchanging. The sardine stone is a blood-red stone. It reminds us that while God is a God of sovereign rule and absolute authority who holds men to a high standard of holiness, he is also a God of redemption. He is a God who saved all those who will turn to him by faith. I thank God he is a saving Lord as well as a sovereign Lord. If he wasn't, then we wouldn't have a chance. But it was this holy, righteous God of judgment and wrath who was moved by mercy, love, and grace to provide a way of salvation all to all who will come to him. And he is the restraining one. God's throne is encompassed by an emerald rainbow. This rainbow is not like those we see here on earth. We only see half of the bow. In heaven, it will all be visible. We also know that the rainbow signals the fact that the storm has ended. We also know that the first rainbow was given to Noah by as a visible sign that God would never, ever again destroy the earth by a flood. We read that in Genesis 9, 11 through 17. The rainbow in heaven is a reminder that when we arrive there, the storms will be over for the children of God. I praise God for that. It's a reminder that while we may not understand everything that happens here, we will when we get there. It is also a reminder that God will judge the earth, but that he will do it in line with his promises and his covenants. You see, the rainbow speaks of God's mercy. Even as the wrath of God is about to fall on a doomed world, God is still moving in restraint and mercy. Every person listening to my voice here is headed for an encounter with God. Every one. You might have parked your car and walked into Walmart today, but you were actually heading towards God. You might have parked your car in the church parking lot, but you were actually heading straight towards God. One day we will all be face to face with him. We will meet him in, in scenes of glory or in the halls of judgment, but we will meet him just the day. Are you ready for that moment? Has it dawned on you yet that you are going to see him one day? Has it become clear that you will stand in his throne room and see his face? One day the long road of life will end and we will be home. Our journey will be complete. Our burdens lifted, our tears dried away, our questions answered, our broken hearts healed forever. We will be home. Praise God, there is a better day a-coming. Praise the Lord. So we saw the person on the throne. Let's look at the people around the throne. We see their association in verse 4. Who are these individuals? Some people think they are angels or cherubim. The word elders is never ever used to refer to angels in the Bible. Others think they represent some of the group. Personally, I think they represent all the redeemed children of God. Let's example the evidence of this thought. It says they are sitting on seats. This is the same word translated throne in verse 2. 
Thus, they are seen to be reigning with God. The saints, you and me, we will reign with him some day. 2 Timothy 2.12 If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. We are going to rule and reign with Christ. Are you ready for that? And they also seem to be a representative people. In Revelation 21, verses 12 through 14, the New Jerusalem is described as having 12 gates with names after the 12 tribes of Israel. It is built on 12 foundations which contain the names of the 12 apostles. 12 plus 12 equals 24. I believe that these 24 elders represent the redeemed people of God both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, David appointed 24 Levites to represent the entire priesthood in 1 Chronicles 23 and 28. When a meeting was necessary, it would have been impossible to gather every one of the thousands of Levites together. But when the 24 elders came together, they represented the whole body. The same is true of these elders. They represent the entirety of the redeemed saints of God. These elders represent us. Look at their activity. It says they are sitting. This signifies rest. Their labors are over and they are sitting at rest in the presence of God in heaven. We are seated in Jesus in heaven today. Did you know that? You, if you are born again, you are seated in the heavens right now. How do I know that? Well, God's word says in Ephesians 2, 6, And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that is in the present tense. That is our positional situation. Practically, I am still in this world, living, laboring, longing for heaven. One day we will be where God has already positioned us. Practically, we'll be in heaven. We are positioned there already. I just want to remind you that one day this life with all its burdens, cares, worries, and problems will be behind us forever. We will go to a new home where those things can never hinder us or bother us ever again. We will enter into his rest in heaven. Revelation 21 verse 4. Then we see their attire as they are clothed in white raiment. White garments in the Bible speaks of the righteousness of the saints. Revelation 19.8 And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. When God saved us, he forgave our sins and cleansed every stain of sin away from us forever. He declared us to be forgiven and justified in his eyes. 1 Corinthians 6.11 And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Again, that is our positional standing in Christ. Practically, however, we are anything but righteous. We strive for that, but we have a hard time achieving achieving perfect holiness. One day this wicked flesh will drop away forever. We will be remade in his image and we will be perfectly holy and righteous just like he is. Thank God there is a day coming when we will leave sin and the appetite for sin behind us forever. 
Amen. We see their adornments. They have on their heads crowns of gold. There are two words for crown in the New Testament. One is the word diadem. This is a word that is used to describe the many crowns Jesus will wear when he returns in power and glory to reign on the earth. We see that in Revelation 19 verse 12. This is a kingly crown, the crown of glory. The other is the word Stephanos. It refers to a victor's crown. It speaks of the crowns given to victors in athletic contests. The diadem is worn by Jesus by divine right. The Stephanos is earned by the saints. We are told of at least five crowns that can be worn by the people, the saints of God. We see the crown of life. This crown is given to those who demonstrate their love for Jesus by successfully enduring trials and temptations. You can find that in James 1.12 and Revelation 2.10. Then the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4.8. This crown is given to those who live in the light of his coming. The saints who long for, live for, and love the coming of Jesus can receive this crown. Then we see the crown of glory in 1 Peter 5, 4. This crown is the reward of the faithful pastors and those who teach the word of God. We see the crown of rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19. This crown is a reward for those who faithfully share the gospel message and point others to Jesus. We call this the soul winner's crown. We see the imperishable crown in 1 Corinthians 9.25, it's awarded to those who battle the flesh and seek to live holy lives. I, I just, I want to work. Now again, we don't serve to win crowns. We're going we're gonna to lay those crowns at the feet of Jesus one day. But I want to be able to lay all five of those crowns at his feet to his glory and his honor. And you need not worry that your service for the Lord will go unnoticed. He sees everything you do. He knows about every sacrifice. He sees every effort. He takes note of every prayer, every witness, and every secret thing you do to bring glory and honor to his name. He will reward your faithful service one day. You may not receive recognition here, but you surely will over there. In fact, if you do what you do for the praise of men, you have already received your reward, and you will not receive the reward in heaven, Matthew 6. Verses 1 through 6. And so we looked at the person on the throne. We looked at the people around the throne. Let's, let's now look at the praise before the throne. In verses 5 and 6, we see a scene in heaven. As John watches, amazing things begin to take place around the throne of God. Let's take a look at that action. In verse 5a, he speaks of wonders, lightnings, and thunderings, and voices. The things speak of approaching judgment. Heaven booms with the warning signals that judgment is on the way. And then in verse 5b, he speaks of a witness. He says, seven lamps of fire. This is the Spirit of God in his fullness. Isaiah 11:2 says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The Spirit is no longer, at this point, a comforter. We read about the comforter in John 14, verses 16 and 26. He is now an instrument of God's judgment. He is there to witness to the righteousness of the judgments that are about to fall on the earth. In verse 6, 
speaks of waters. It says, A sea of glass likened to crystal. This crystal sea speaks of God's judgment as being form and fixed. On this earth, there is nothing more constantly changing or in motion than the ocean. I know that to be true. I was on the ocean many times on a ship. It's constantly changing. The sea is never still, and it is never the same. The sea is solid and unmoving. Judgment is fixed, and it can, this sea rather, let me say that again, this sea, in verse 6, is solid and unmoving. Judgment is fixed and cannot be altered. If you will remember, there was a sea of brass called the laver outside the tent of the tabernacle. Before the priests entered that tent, they were required to wash in the laver. It symbolized cleansing and forgiveness of sins. How many times have I stopped at that laver in 1 John 1, 9 and washed my sins and my stains away? I thank God that there is a place of forgiveness. In restoration today. In heaven, that sea of brass has become a sea of glass. There will be no more need for the saints to come for cleansing. We will never fail him again. What what a blessing. We will never, ever fail God. Hmm. For the lost sinner, this sea reminds us that it has become too late for repentance. Judgment is set and fixed. Man has reached his limit, and God is about to pour out his wrath on a lost and sinful world. What a horror awaits what I'm going to call earth dwellers. After the rapture, the wrath is coming. You do not want to be there. You need to get saved if you're not. You need to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Sorry about that phone. Let me... Let me turn that off. I should never make a mistake about my other phone being on. <laughs> okay, there we go. That won't bother us again. Then we see the shouts in heaven. This throne room is a place of judgment, but is also a place of praise. There are two groups involved in the praise of God on this occasion. We see the shouts of the beasts. Their description, the word beasts, comes from the Greek word zoon, Z-O-O-N, we get the word zoo and zoology from it. The word has the idea of living ones. John sees these four living ones and attempts to describe them for us. He says that they are full of eyes before and behind. This speaks of complete intelligence. One was a lion. This represents wild animal life. One was like a calf. This represents domesticated animal life. One was like a man. This represents intelligent life. One was like an eagle, and it represents the bird life. These four beasts represent the entirety of God's creation gathered before him. They are full of eyes, perfect intelligence. They have six wings and speaks of swiftness. They rest not. This speaks of ceaseless activity. These represent all of creation, stand in the presence of God, and lift their voices in praise to the Creator. He is a Creator, and everything that was made exists for Him and His glory. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before, and by him all things consist. Then we see their declaration. 
They declare his holiness. They declare his eternal nature. They declare his sovereignty and his control over all things. All nature is involved in praising the Lord. The rain, the sun, the birds, the animals, everything but man, quite honestly, exists to glorify God. Everything but man glories him, glorifies him by doing what he formed them to do. Before we leave these beasts behind, we should also note that they represent different sides of Jesus. The lion pictures Jesus as he is portrayed in the Gospel of Matthew, the lion of the tribe of Judah. As a lion, Jesus possesses majesty, power, and authority. The calf presents Jesus as he is portrayed in the Gospel of Mark, the suffering servant. As a servant, Jesus demonstrated service and strength. The man pictures Jesus as he is portrayed in the Gospel of Luke, the Son of Man. As the Son of Man, Jesus possesses perfect intelligence and absolute moral righteousness. The eagle pictures Jesus as he is portrayed in the Gospel of John, the Son of God comes down from heaven. As the Son of God, Jesus possesses majesty and transcendence. These beasts are so much like him because they are so often with him. The shout of the believers in verses 9 through 11. It isn't just the four living creatures that lift their voices in praise. When the four beasts begin to praise the Lord, the 24 elders join right in. Their praise is volitional. Nobody is seen forcing them to praise the Lord. In other words, they're doing it without having to be forced to do it. It's volitional. When they hear their Lord exalted, they cannot help but join right in. They fall down before him and worship their Redeemer. Their praise is visible. They don't just praise the Lord in their hearts. They fall down before him and offer visible, open, unabashed praise to the Lord. Their praise is not just visible, but it's valuable. They take the crowns they have ungiven and they cast them at the feet of the Lord. They acknowledge that where they are, when they have and all that they have accomplished is a direct result of his power, his grace, and his love. They owe it all to him and they offer him everything they have. They are not concerned about their own glory, but they are lost in his glory. So their, their praise is not just visible and valuable, it's vocal. On top of everything else, they open their mouths and loudly proclaim their love and adoration for the Lord. They declare his worthiness. They declare his power. They declare his right to rule and reign. They declare their agreement that what he is about to do in the world is right. They declare the fact that he made the world and all that is in it. It is his hand, it is his, and he can do with it as he pleases. There will be no songs about evolution in glory. Heaven will literally throb with the praises of God. Wow! Won't that be a time? Anytime man enters the presence of God, man always falls down in worship. Ezekiel 128 says, As the appearance of the bow that is in the clouds in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face. And I heard a voice of one that spake. Man is terrified in the presence of God and always, always falls down in humble worship. 
Do you want to know what we will be doing in heaven? Have you been curious about that? I know I have. I always wonder. You know, we hear about, yeah, we're going to be floating on clouds and we're going to have wings and playing a harp and all of that. My friends, let me tell you, we will not be floating around in a cloud. We will not be strumming a harp. No fishing, no hunting, no sleeping, or any of the foolish things we hear from time to time. If you want to know what we will be doing, look no farther than this passage. When we leave here, we'll be called up, cleaned up, and caught up in his praise and worship. When we arrive there, we will see what we were and where we were and what we were headed for and what he has done for us in saving our souls. We will comp- What we will comprehend is we will not be able to restrain our praise. Would to God it would become real down here. Oh my goodness. <sighs> Wouldn't it be wonderful if his people down here would praise him for all he has done for them, where he is taking them and how he is blessing them. I get, I get so, uh, so weary, weary of people who, Christians, who, Christians, professing Christians who just walk around with their knuckles dragging on the ground, their mouths hanging down, feeling sorry for themselves. They just can't see anything before them. They live in the past. They feel sorry for themselves. Let me tell you, there is nothing wrong, nothing wrong, nothing wrong with praising the Lord today. The only thing wrong is that there's not enough of it going on. And again, standing, standing, waving our arms and, and uh, crazy, saying crazy things and doing crazy things, this is not praise. This is not praise. We need to praise God with our whole heart. We need to we need to praise God down here like we're going to do it there. Our praises should be volitional. It's people should not have to make us praise. It should be visible. People should see our lives as as praising God. And again, when I say visible, it's it's not about doing these crazy things that we hear about. It should be valuable. It should be worthy. It should be vocal. I'll tell you, I am excited about going to heaven. Are you excited about going to heaven? I look forward to seeing my Lord and my God. I look forward to joining my voice with those of the other redeemed saints and praising the one who sought me, bought me, and delivered me from my sins. Are you excited about going to heaven? Are you, are you truly excited about it? I want to live my life here as an expression of praise to the Lord who loves me. I want to be found glorifying him by my life and by how I praise him. He is worthy of our love. He is worthy of our devotion. He is worthy of our our adoration, if I could speak here. (laughs) He is worthy of our praise. I get so excited. I get so excited. Oh, he deserves our praise as much today and he will when we get home to glory. Let's praise him today. Let's praise him. Let's not wait. Let's not wait. We need to praise him. Let's give him everything he deserves. Let's not wait to get to heaven to do it. My friends, if you are not saved today, I want you to know 
that you will face the Lord in judgment. You need to come to Jesus today for salvation. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Are you saved? Are you saved? And if you are saved and you want to thank him for what he has given you, this altar is open right here, right here. My voice, the altar is open. This is an invitation. Maybe you would just like to bow and praise him. And you can do that too. Oh, I, I just praise God. I just, I just praise him for all that I am, for all he has made me. For all the wonderful possessions he's given me. I just want to praise the Lord. Are you ready to do that today? This has been a great study. I'll tell you what. The throne room of God. Stepping right into the throne room of God. You know what? In the reality is we go into the throne room every time we get on our knees and pray. We can go right into the throne room of God today, praising him, glorifying him for all that he is. But I look forward to that day in heaven. Until then, my friends, until that day, keep looking up and listening for the shout. J. Michael back. Did you get a picture into the throne room of God? This was just a glimpse. Our minds can't comprehend the majesty of the Holy of Holies. But one day, one day our imagination will become a reality. Say, have you invited your friends and family to join you in the academy? This is the fourth time Pastor Don has taught this series. Every time we've seen people come to Christ. Maybe your friends and family can join those precious souls. Next time, we move into chapter 5 and spend time with our magnificent Savior, the precious Lamb of God. Until then, you need to keep looking up and listening for the shout.